You ready to celebrate? <laughs> I'm ready. I think the worship team's ready. So we're going to jump back in quick, but I just want to say good morning to everybody. Thanks, Victoria. <laughs> um, we're so glad that all of you are here. We are going to jump back into worship and celebrate our God this morning, and it is going to be good because he is good. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we invite you in. Come and show up and have your way as we celebrate you and who you are. Amen. One of the, one of the things that God's been really working on me over this past year has has been healing. Um, and, and, and when we believe for healing, when God tells me to pray for healing for someone, there's, there's fear, right? There's, there's that fear of, well, I might pray for them and nothing might happen. And there's also the fact that I might pray for them and God might do something. And I feel like there's this moment right now where where when we step out and someone gets healed, can we say, great are you, Lord? Can we say, your praise will be on my lips? But then there's also the other side of if I pray for them and nothing happens and I look like an idiot, can I still say, great are you, Lord? Can I still say your praise will forever be on my lips? And I feel like that principle applies to our lives. And I feel like there's that call of like, wherever we're at in this moment, wherever we're at in this season, whether we're seeing healings or we're not seeing healings or your kids are incredible or your kids are being little terrors or work's going really good or work's... I don't know right now. In all of those moments, can we still say, great are you, Lord? And so I also feel like that shouldn't stop us. And so I feel like right now I'm going to pray for healing. And so I specifically feel like someone in here or a bunch of people have problems in your lower back. And so if that's you, can you raise a hand and put your other hand on your back? And if, and if you're, that's not you, and you look around and you see someone, can we just as a family, if someone's close to you, just put your hand on them? If someone's not close to you, just reach your hand out to them? And now, for those of you that have your hand raised... Here's the struggle. God's going to heal you, or God's going to say, not yet, or God's going to say no, but the struggle is, your praise will ever be on my lips. But we're still going to believe, and we're still going to push, and we're still going to claim it. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus... We pray that there would be healing, that there would be alignment, that muscles that are tense would be relaxed, 
that bones that are out of place would go back into place. And God, that you would move and that we would be able to celebrate what you've done. And so in the name of Jesus, by his stripes, we are healed. By his name, we are healed. By what he's done on the cross, he has power over death and sickness. And so, God, I pray for healing. We pray for healing. We believe for healing to sweep across this room. And we're going to keep singing that, that song. And as, it's, as, as Ken and the team jump back into this song, I just want you to, wherever you're at, raise your hands, do a dance, do whatever you got to. But our praise will ever be on our lips. Hang on a second here. Do you feel in the atmosphere right now? There's faith in the atmosphere right now. There's faith in the atmosphere right now. Now, when God wants to do something, there's his side, and then we think that there's something about our side. And we're like, oh, if I could only just believe hard enough, if I could just have enough faith, if somehow my flesh could generate enough that I could land what God wants to do. I feel like in this moment, if we would ask God for his faith, take us out of the equation. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith. It's his faith. So who needs something to happen in their life right now? Put your hand up. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would release your faith to your people so that your spirit would land your word in their life, God. I pray that you break off all the disappointment of the past where they said, I I couldn't get a hold of it. My faith wasn't enough. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't obedient enough. God, break all that off and let your spirit release in each of these lives. God, I thank you that we're going to see it. We're going to see the healings. We're going to see the provision. We're going to see the things that you said Because your faith is coming into us. (sighs) Roll back disappointment. Roll back unbelief in Jesus' name. Roll back. Recede. Go out in Jesus' name. Oh my, 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 oh my. I'm starting to hear the words in the air. The things that, that, that are going to be said in this place, the wows, the oh my's, and the did you see that? Did you hear that? Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Ooh. Holy Spirit, we don't want this to leave. We don't want this to lift. For the rest of this service, we pray you stay heavy and thick on us as we do the different things, as we try to follow you. And I'm going to pray for the offering too. <laughs> Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the jobs. Thank you for uh, the provision that's come in every different way. Thank you that we have the opportunity to trust you with it, to give it back in a portion. Thank you, God, that you never fail to look after us. God bless each one who can give, each one who can't give. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So I'm going to start, those of you who have spent any time talking with me at all about anything, (laughs) pretty much, know that eventually, fairly soon, something's going to come out, 
It is my, it is my life theme, my life message, and we've spent so much time on it this morning, but I'm, 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 I'm going to pound it home here a little bit, and that is <clears throat> that God is good. And, and I have to tell you, this is, this is one of those things, remember, you play how you practice. And if you keep practicing doing stuff wrong, you're going to do it wrong in the game. And here's the deal. You play how you practice in your thinking and in your feelings as well. And for me, the fact that God is good is settled. I practice it all the time. I come up here and I tell you, God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. So when something happens... And it's hard for me to see that in a moment. Do you know what I realize? It's just hard for me to see it. Because it doesn't change the fact of it one little bit. God is good. Practice that, folks. Practice it. Get it in your hearts. Get it in your spirits. Get it in your heads. God is good. And then when the storms come, it's okay. It's a storm. But God is good. We sang, he never let me down. Never let me down. Somebody says, well, I don't know. No, he didn't. He did not. So when your perception seemed to be that I was trusting God for this thing and it didn't happen, I'm telling you it's your perception that's off, not the fact. We just need to have that utterly settled for us all the time. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked, uh, and, and we started with John 17. And I'm not going to reread all of John 17 this week, but I am going to reread verses 20 and 21 of John 17. So remember again, how many of you were here for that, for that message uh, a couple weeks ago? Okay, so a goodly number. Um, so here's, here's, here's the thing. John 17 is the final prayer that Jesus gave just before he went to the cross, okay? And he knew he was going. He was well aware of what was going to happen next. So this was that critical thing that he's saying to his father has to be established here on the earth. It is, this is the, the totality of why I'm here, why I came, and what I'm about to do. And in verses 20 and 21, Jesus says... I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Everybody say one. As you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. So again, our message to the world actually comes out of, the, the people's belief in our message comes out of our oneness, right? <clears throat> now, he did say, be one, that they may be one as you and I are one. <clears throat> so we spent a bunch of time really working through how God the Father and God the Son are one. And we're not going to redo that today. But when he said that they will be one as we are one, one of the patterns then in their oneness is the pattern of fathers and sons. 
Now, again, ladies, I'm going to ask for your permission to not have to kind of do the fathers and mothers and daughters and sons thing constantly throughout because it'll just get choppy. And, and in fact, the word father has a, has a, a role meaning here that I want to maintain, okay? But ladies, you are totally capable of being fathers in this context. And you're totally capable of being sons in the context that we're giving because it's a role context here, okay? Is that, is that okay? So if you give me permission, I will just use fathers and sons, and, and you will hear yourself in that every bit as much. Hey, I have to be a bride, so you can be a father. Got it? All right? It's all good? We're fair? All right. So let's look, let's, let's look at fathering and sonship from a scriptural and a spiritual perspective here for a minute. Romans 8, verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So he chose you to become like Jesus. Okay? Know that right now. You were chosen to become like Jesus. I hope that's a little intimidating. (laughs) It is for me. And yet, wow, I was chosen to become. Come like Jesus, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Wow. So you're chosen to be Jesus' brother, Jesus' sister. Did you know that? You are, we've, we, we, you know, in Christian ease, we say, we are joint heirs with Christ. Well, what does that even mean? What it means is we're his brothers and sisters. So everything dad gives, we get it too, right? We are joint heirs. We get to, we get to participate in the inheritance because Jesus is my big brother. That's pretty cool, which means I'm a son of God. What? Yeah. Do you know that this room is filled with sons of God? I I'm just reading the Bible here. I'm not making it up. And sometimes we have, to, we have to let these things percolate a little. It was sort of like Cam was talking about the oh my's, right? Um, and there are a couple here that, that there's one I'm, I'm going to tell you a little later on if, if the Lord lets me do that. And, um, and it's going to be interesting to see if I can even get through it because it hits me every time I even tell anybody about it. It was a gasp when I heard somebody else say it. My, my spirit jumped and I gasped. It was an oh my. So we'll, we'll see how that goes um, today. But um, this is another one of those. So you are Jesus' sibling and you're a son of God the most high. That's got to be cool. So God does everything through his son. We went through that in detail a couple of weeks ago. And so, I'm, again, I'm not going to redo it all, but we could see God did everything through his son, and then he declares that we're his sons. Hey, so uh, there's a call in that, right? We're going to be his sons. He chose us to become like his son, the way we just read it. In the, in the King James or New King James, it says uh, that we would be conformed to the image or the likeness of his son. So it does mean there's a process, okay? And remember, everything in the kingdom has process to it. There's so many things, you know, we say, well, we're victorious. Well, how come I don't feel victorious? Uh Okay, we are being perfected. 
We are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are, there's ings. There's, there's, you know, these participles that say that there's something going on on an ongoing basis. There is process in everything in the kingdom. So, so when, I, when I talk about some of these things and you may say, well, I don't feel that way right now. I can tell you that's a feel, first of all, but there's some truth sometimes to the fact that there's process. I mean, I, I'll prove it right off the top. So way back when there was this garden called Eden, and there were these, this couple in there, Adam and Eve, created in the very image of God, male and female, he created them in his image. Very cool. And they messed up. And because they messed up, there became a separation between man, the creation, and God. And God said, it's okay. I'll make a way. So he basically said, you know, the serpent will bruise his heel and crush his head. Okay, it's all good. Do you know that it took 6,000 years? It took 6,000 years from that point till the time that Christ died on the cross. There is process in all things. And then Jesus, when he left, he said, and behold, I come again quickly. So we're at 2,000 years, okay? Quickly for God, when you're eternal, quickly has a slightly different meaning than it does to us, potentially, Okay? So, day is as, as a thousand years, potentially, you know, whatever. Uh, so, I'm, I'm just saying that in the kingdom, there is process. So, don't be upset that you're in process. Don't, don't be ticked that, you know, it didn't all just snap, come. Man, you know, got saved and had it all together immediately. Um, that would probably just make you really proud, at which point you wouldn't have it all together again. And, oh, wait a minute, there's process. Okay? So... We're conformed to him. So if we're being made like him, you know what that means? That means we're going to learn to think like him, to act like him, to love like him, to value what he values, and to do what he does. Everything that he did was as a son to a father. So that's what we're being conformed to when we're being conformed to him, his image. We're being conformed as sons of a father. But what about our relationships with each other? Well, let's go to 1 John 1, starting at verse 3. It says, We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, Our relationships together, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, and we are sons, right? So there's a pattern here of fathers and sons. There's this pattern that Jesus and his father walked out that I believe we are supposed to walk out as well as fathers and sons with each other. So not just sons, but fathers and sons. And and we'll talk about that. Um, If we reject fellowship with each other, okay, then we'll miss God and his purposes because he set this up relationally from the word go. And, and I got to tell you, I, I, I mean, I love looking out at your faces. I know how Pastor Mark feels sometimes when he says, man, I stand here and I can just, just, I mean, I just would just bask in it here. You know, you can stand up here and you get to see everybody and you realize, you know what, there's some of you I don't know, but I love you anyway. And then there's so many of you I know, and I love you anyway. (laughs) And one one or two of you love me back. It's good. And uh, 
You know what? That is amazing. Uh, I, I have to, Sean, I'm going to pick you out here for a minute. So this man over here, this is Sean Krebs. And Sean is my friend. We like Sean a lot. And let me tell you something about Sean. Sean and I don't agree on everything. Did you know that? We have some political differences. We have some doctrinal differences. Like right from scripture. And I love this man. And I know he loves me back. And it doesn't matter that we don't agree on everything. What? What? Shouldn't we be shaming each other on social media or something? (laughs) Shouldn't he be posting that I'm a heretic? Right? No. It's our oneness. It's our oneness that's a demonstration to the world. Sorry for picking you out there, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a true story because both Sean and I are highly opinionated. Really. And highly educated in some things. A few things. And we love each other anyway when we disagree. It's amazing. And, and, and it's kingdom. There's only one fellowship, one oneness, and it includes the Father and all the sons. And I'm here to tell you right now, you cannot have this relationship if you don't have this relationship. It, 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 it is that critical. It really is. Do you know, you come to church and there's all these imperfect people. Well, welcome, first of all. Um, you fit right in. <laughs> I would say, um, with all these imperfect people. And do you know that the fact that some of these people rub you the wrong way is really good for you? Do you know part of, Scripture says, now, you know, I grew up with King James, and so there's lots of my memorized Scripture over the years that still comes out in King James if I'm just going to speak it, so there it goes. And the Scripture tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Really, you should do it with an English accent if you're going to do King James. But anyway, I'm not going to. That's okay. I'll get mocked, so, um, which happens plenty as it is. So, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Don't stop getting together with other believers. What's the point? Well, you can't have relationship if you don't spend any time together, first of all. And if you don't spend any time together, who's going to press your buttons? Who's going to offend you so that you can figure out what part of you is not dead yet, right? I mean, who better than a brother or sister of the same father to press your buttons, to help you grow up? This is an important part of what we do together, is tick each other off. Oh, my. It is. Because it's also an important part of what we do together to learn not to be ticked off so easily. To start figuring out that, wow, I've got a lot of me in here. Some of my feels stick out pretty far. Now, this also says that the Father loves us with the same love and, okay, here's an oh my, and just as much as he loves Jesus. What? The Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Take that. Mm. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been pleased for Jesus to suffer for us. He actually let Jesus go through what he did for you because he loves you that much that he was willing to let Jesus suffer at that level to save you. Um, That's pretty incredible. And that's what it means to be adopted as sons. You have the same status with God as Jesus does. Whoa, whoa. The son of God. Oh, that's you. Wow. 
So, Hebrews 2.11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. That is also very cool. Ah, as people, we keep being so religious. We, we build religion really quickly. And we, we try to please God by building institutions and programs and don't do this, do this, look a certain way, don't look a certain way, go to certain places, don't go to others. But you know what? That's not God's way. God's way was never that. You know what God's way was? To walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? That's God's way. It's walking and talking together. It's not about being in a building set aside for the purpose with a screen at the front and a stage and, and all of that. None of that is laid out by God. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that we get together on Sunday mornings for a couple hours, sing some songs, do a, you know, listen to somebody preach. It's not in Scripture. Now, God has used it. Don't get me wrong. God has blessed that mightily, and it has been used all over the world, and it's a pattern that, that, that has some value to it, but it is by no means... The, the deal. The deal is walking and talking with God in the garden. That's the deal. In the book of James, Abraham was called God's friend. Say friend. Not effective servant, right? Friend. Very cool. All right. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Now, I'm taking a page from the Cam Hunter Book of Preaching, the hermeneutical school of Hunter, and we're going to go through a few Greek words here, okay? Oh, we know the guy studied. He did Greek. Okay. Yeah, really. 1 John 2, 12. I write to you, little children. Sounds patronizing, doesn't it? Had someone explain that to me. He said, patronizing. That's when people talk down to you. Come on. Okay. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, John actually uses four different Greek words. It's translated three different ways here, oddly. Two of them are translated the same way. Um, Four different Greek words for the different maturity levels here. The first one is technion. And it means infant. So in the kingdom, an infant is simply a new convert, one who has simply just been born again, right? So they're, they're a baby and uh, hungry like crazy. Those of you who are moms, you know when that new baby, they come out hungry, right? They, they, and, and, oh, you know, anything touches their cheek, bam, they're starting to suck right now. Gimme, 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 gimme. I have a couple of grandbabies who, um, <laughs> I, 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 I can't explain it any other way. Just, anyway, so 
technion. The next one is pedion, which is a child. So a child is immature, but they're not, you know, they're not a baby. I mean, a child can get up and run around and, and, and talk and, you know, generally feed themselves a little bit. Hey, feed themselves. That's a good thing. For those of us in the kingdom, learning to feed ourselves, that, that, that's a good idea. Telling you, if you're only coming to church once a week, getting fed once a week, you are starving to death. All right? So even a child can feed themselves. And then there's neoniscos, which is a youth, basically someone under 40. Okay? And then there's pater, where, from which we get the word father. And that is a father or a parent. Now, the child and infant little thing we get, you know, they're just new. So, obviously, we're not expecting a great deal of maturity, you know, in the first two weeks after someone gets saved. <laughs> but the young man, Neoniscos, that's the one who is strong. So, remember, we had the technion and the pation and then the Neoniscos. So, that third one, that young person, the one under 40 kind of thing from the Greek definition, is the one who is strong, the word abides in him, and he has overcome the wicked one. Wow. That sounds like the leaders. Right? The young man is the one who is strong and has overcome the, the, the wicked one, and the word abides in him. And I think sometimes we're thinking that's, that's, the, that's the pinnacle. That's where we're trying to get to. That's the young one. What? Well, what's more? Fathers. Oh, wait a minute. What do fathers do? They father. There's a thing that we're called to in relationship with each other where we need to get past just having the word in us, just being strong and overcomers in our, of ourselves. And we need to get to the spot where we can father others. Fathers are the ones who have known him who is from the beginning. Wait, what's that first word? Known. Okay. Guess what word that is. That's the same word that's used when Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son. That's an intimacy word, okay? So what we've got is fathers are the ones who are intimate with God. So remember, we talked last time a little bit about the five-fold ministry, right? We did the hand. We got the teachers down here, the foundation of truth. And then we got the pastors loving. We got the evangelists going out in front. We got the bony finger of the prophet there. And, and then we've got the apostles which touch on all the others, right? So remember the hand. We've got those fivefold ministries, which were given until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this maturity thing, this maturity thing is actually relational maturity. It's when we can be fathers and sons together relationally. That's the maturity that we're working for, the maturity of the unity that they would be one as you and I are one. Um, so maturity is not measured by how long you've been in the faith. Um, there are folks who've been saved for 
60 years and aren't fathers. It's not measured by extensive knowledge of Scripture. In fact, the Bible in the King James says, knowledge puffeth up. (laughs) That's how I memorized it. I'm sorry. Puffeth. You seem very puffed up. Anyway, being able to preach, is that it? You can be articulate. That doesn't mean you have any character whatsoever. Gifted in prophecy? No, that's a gift. Unfortunately, I mean, I say unfortunately from my perspective, God is good and God knows what he's doing, so it's not actually unfortunate. But there are many people who have been gifted prophetically who are not mature. It's part of what we want to do together in building this maturity. It's part of how we want to exercise this fivefold to get to maturity. Prophecy is a gift. What about effective soul winning? That's got to be it, right? No, that shows giftedness and effort, sometimes obedience. But what if you got an evangelist who's an amazing soul winner, but they get offended easily? They won't even go to the church because there's a bunch of navel gazers who only care about themselves. Well, that doesn't really sound relationally mature now, does it? So you could be a gifted soul winner even and not be mature. By the way, I'd like to be all of those other things. Don't get me wrong. I like to know the word. I'd like to be a gifted soul winner. I like to, to be able to prophesy. Those are all wonderful things. Um, but they don't in and of themselves imply maturity. No, the final measure of maturity, you want to know, if you want to measure yourself, don't be measuring other people. Remember this. And again, sorry, uh, you know, when every time, anytime I get up here and say, say things, then sometimes just the same things come out again and again. So I'm just going to assume you need them. <laughs> or I do. Um, your behavior is not an input. It is an output. You don't become mature by behaving better. In fact, you become proud by behaving better all by itself. By the way, better behavior does prevent consequences of poor behavior, okay, at some level. But your behavior is not the thing that's going to make you mature. Just start reading the Bible more. By act of will. It's not going to do it. But let me tell you, as you mature, you will be shocked what happens to your behavior. It's amazing. You, you begin watching things that you used to, you know, struggle with, and you haven't struggled with that in months, years. And you think, huh, things you might have once said, now you hear somebody else say it, and it hurts your heart. And you think, that was rude. That was unloving. And you realize, oh, I'm not who I was. It didn't happen because you stopped saying mean things. It happened because you changed, <laughs> And you changed, which means now you don't say those mean things anymore. Okay? So, as a gauge for yourself, if you want to know how you are doing, you cannot apply this to anybody else. Right? But you can look at some of the output of your life and say, hey, thank you, Lord. You're changing me. And one of those things, if you want to understand where you are mature, maturity-wise... Take a look at how you're relating to the people of God. Just take a look at how, how easily you're offended or how, you know, that stuff's not really offending me anymore. I'm just letting you know that's what I use as, it's, it's like the, the warning lights on your dashboard, right, in your car. When it comes on, you go, oop, something's not good there. Or you look and the gas looks all the way full and you go, yes, good. 
you know, I can take a long trip. Gas is full. So the gauges, the gauges themselves, you don't get to full tank by yanking that gauge to the top. That, that doesn't work, okay? In fact, you yank the gauge to the top, you just break the gauge. It doesn't fill your tank for you. So, um, anyway, okay. And one of the toughest ones to gauge is how do you walk with leaders in the faith, okay? This is the spirit of sonship. So let's talk about sons, and we'll get to fathers in a moment. You want to be a son? How do you walk with fathers? How do you walk with leaders? I find it really interesting. Um, Actually, I I don't have it here, but if you could bring up Malachi 4, I think it's verses 5 and 6. This is is an interesting thing because we sing songs about this, and we, we talk about this, and I'm not sure that we have a really good understanding of it all the time. I certainly didn't. And so if I didn't and I've sat through the same teaching you have, maybe, maybe you're there too. So yeah, he says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Wow. Elijah's coming. So who's Elijah? Well, we know that when Elijah was taken... Elisha hollered, you know, my father, my father, the chariots and horses of Israel. Chariots and horses, what's that all about? Okay, what, huh? Okay, well, that's just, it's it's an interesting thing, by the way. Um, When you go study that particular passage, you find out that there's not actually a great deal of agreement on what that meant. (laughs) Um, But the, 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 the best explanation I can find for it is that Elijah was seen as that powerful powerful prophet like their whole military strategy depended on elijah okay this is why the chariots and the horses thing right i mean it was like wow elijah so when we talk about the spirit of elijah today what do we talk about we talk about you know speaking accurate prophecy we talk about power gifts i mean he calls down fire from heaven everything oh wow that's elijah the spirit of elijah when the bible talks about elijah And in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, the Bible talks about, oh, leave it up there. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. John the Baptist, Jesus said, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this, that he was Elijah who came just before Jesus. Jesus' words. So what did John the Baptist do? All sorts of miracles and all sorts of... No, no, turned hearts. Turned hearts. The spirit of Elijah is the thing that turns hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children and us to our father God. That's the spirit of Elijah. So I believe there's a model of fathers and sons that the Bible is leading us to. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, Paul says to the uh, church in Corinthians, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Other translations even say you have only me, (laughs) just the one at the moment. And he's not talking about because you got saved through me. He's talking about who cares about you this way. Now, I'm just going to quickly... Yeah, quickly deal with, uh, with something that, that otherwise somebody's going to ask me after the service for sure. So, in um, Matthew 23, Jesus, uh, starting verse 1 even, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. That's kind of cool. 
But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Then he goes on to say, Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you must have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, there's a bunch there. But he's saying, don't call anybody teacher, don't call anybody rabbi, don't call anybody father. And now I'm sitting here telling you that we need to be fathers. And this is very confusing. Let's look at what he's saying here. He starts off by saying there's a group of people who just want a title. This group of people set up all these things and they make themselves important by giving themselves titles. Don't do titles. That's all he's saying. That's that Matthew 23. It says don't do titles. I am... I'm saddened a little bit. Once I got some revelation on this years ago already, I I was a little sad that in our uh, Western culture here, we have chosen to call the leaders of churches, the clergy folks, pastor. And we've used it as a title, unfortunately, because I actually think that's what this is talking about is don't do the titles thing, okay? So it's, it's... I know it's a term of respect, and we want to have that respect, and we want to show that respect, and it's not wrong in and of itself, okay? It's just a little bit unfortunate. And the reason is this, because titles often puff up. It is the thing that people grab onto. I'm one of these. And I notice that as the fivefold has, has really come back into, into the main you know, thinking as the Holy Spirit has, has started impressing on the church, look, these are the gifts that you have for growing the church up. And then you watch those, you know, who, who I think in, in all the best intent begin grabbing the titles. So you could just call me Teacher Jim from now on. Okay, so Teacher Jim, and, uh, and we'll get to Apostle Kim in a few minutes here, and we've got uh, Prophet Cam in the house. And, we, and don't get me wrong, there can be offices of these things. Absolutely, we have apostles in this house. We have prophets in this house. We could even have somebody who is appointed in the office of a prophet in this house. That is just fine. Just can we not do the titles thing? I mean, there's a very specific warning against titles right here. Okay? And by the way, I'm going to show you this piece of paper. Those letters are red. Okay? That's written in red. That means Jesus said it. So this isn't somebody's opinion. Right? This is Jesus telling us, okay, just watch with the titles already. So, fair enough. But the role, Paul has just claimed it. He's just, in Corinthians, he says, you know, you don't have many fathers, for I became a father. He's also talking about, about being a teacher. The role is still critically important. Can you, can you give me that? We, we can see that. That's okay. So, when I talk about the role, we're not talking about adding titles. We are talking about fulfilling a function, though, in the body that is critical. Um, let's look at some fathers and sons quickly in Scripture, okay? Moses. Moses was the guy who came and got the people out of Egypt, right? 
and the people pretty much constantly rebelled, right? Oh, my goodness. They're a week out. Oh, you brought us into the desert to die. The Egyptians are going to kill us here. Why couldn't you last us at home? But they could have killed us all at home. It would have been easier. We wouldn't have had to walk all this way first. At least when we were making bricks, we had food to eat. Wine, wine, wine. Later on, even his own brother and sister. Hey, why are you think you're so much important, more important than us? Poof. Oops. Leprosy. Not good. Okay, sorry. So our friend Mo here, he had to deal with a fair bit of, of trouble and angst. In fact, they had to wander around the desert for 40 years until everybody else died off. True story. And then we get to Joshua. Joshua is blessed by Moses and by God to take on where Moses left off. And the people just followed him, and he just had success wherever he went. And they never rebelled. What? Yeah, because he was walking in the wake of a father. He was walking in the blessing of a father. And he had a very different experience. Because he wasn't the pointy end going through everything now. It had been opened up for him. Let's look at Elijah and Elisha here for a minute. So Elijah actually had a pretty rough time of it. Elijah was off on his own quite a bit, but he started some schools of the prophets, and we learn lots about schools of the prophets and, the, and, and all the... And there, there seemed to be quite a few people in these schools of the prophets. And we see what he did with Elisha. And again, Elijah had lots of trouble. The kings were out to get him, whatever. Elisha, not so much. In fact, Elisha got to go visit with the kings. In fact, they called him in and asked him stuff. In fact, we even see the, you know, in this church, we've often talked about the little thing with Jehoram where, where he, 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 you know, has him shoot the arrow and bang the arrows on the ground. That's Elisha with the king, but he didn't pass it on. In fact, unlike Elijah, who said to Elisha, if you see me taken up, you can have the inheritance. You can be my heir. You can be my son. God will have agreed that you are my son. And Elisha, Elijah seemed to have a pattern of that. When Elisha died... So Jehoram actually said the exact same words to Elijah, or Elisha, that Elisha said to Elijah. So Elijah, when, uh, when he was taken up, Elisha saw him taken up. He said, my father, my father, the chariots and horses of Israel. Jehoram, in that thing, Elisha was sick with the diseases that he eventually died of. That's what it says in scripture. So Elisha was already quite ill. And he says to Jehoram, you know, you shoot the arrow out the window, you bang the arrows on the ground. Jehoram didn't do it the way Elisha wanted, and so what did he do? He actually cursed him. He didn't pass on the blessing. And the proof of that later is that Elisha, when he died, he was, his bones were put into, a, into a, uh, a tomb. And later on, the Midianites were ra- raiding, and one of the Midianite soldiers got killed. So they, they were running, so they threw his body into this tomb, Touched the bones of Elisha and poof, came back alive. Because Elisha never passed on the blessing. He never passed on the anointing. It was still there. When the guy touched his bones, pop, he popped back to life. So Elisha didn't father the way that Elijah did. Interesting. Paul and Timothy. Paul had all the shipwrecks and stonings and, and uh, bitten by snakes and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. Timothy... None of it. He got installed. He was sent and installed, became the leader of the Ephesian church. They, they, uh, they actually talk about him at, at 80 years of age uh, in some of the apocryphal writings, whatever, of, of Timothy, you know, having been installed and whatever, because, again, he was operating under the blessing of a father. 
I'm going to tell you a little story. So in St. John here a couple weeks ago, they did the battle for Canada. And this is the one I have a hard time telling. Okay? So we, we, we got there. Um, and uh, Ken Gill had been speaking a couple of services, and he was talking about apostolic leadership. And it was amazing. It was just incredible. And at the end of one of the services, Steve Holmstrom, so our friend from Drayton Valley. There's some Drayton Valley folks here. Um, so Steve Holmstrom was speaking. And, uh, and Steve got up, and he talked about, uh, so there's a fellow in Australia named um, John Alley, and John wrote a book on the spirit of sonship. It's a great book. I, I highly recommend it. And uh, Steve had gotten a hold of this book, and I'd asked Steve, actually, if I could play the video clip from the battle, and he said, go for it, but, and then we couldn't find it. Uh, well, it's, it's taken down, and I would have had to buy it and try and get it here, and, and anyway, it didn't help. So I, I'm just going to tell you the story. So Steve had preached a set of messages on sonship that he had gotten basically out of John Alley's material. And uh, John, somehow, I don't know how, got a hold of this material and called Steve and invited him to come down to to Australia and preach it to his church. And John said, uh, and Steve said, but but John, um, all all my messages on sonship I stole from your book. (laughs) So... um, Honestly, like, how often have your people heard this message? And John said, well, when you preach it, it'll be the first time. What? He said, no, I, I can't preach on sonship. It would be self-serving because I'm, I'm the father in this house. And so if I was trying to tell everybody how to be a son, they'd be going, oh, yeah, sounds like you, yeah, you know. So he said, I, I can't really do that. Um, I mean, we, we model it. He said, and I model, I, I, I teach on sonship simply by trying to be a good father. So that, that, that's the deal. So anyway, Steve did go to Australia, and he preached a sermon, and he said, you know, he, I, I taught on sonship, and he said his people received it really well, not that surprisingly, given the fact that they have a good father. And then he said, we went for a ride afterwards. John Alley drove him, uh, drove him somewhere, and as they were talking, Steve said, I had, I had understood that the, the, the spiritual father that John talks about in the book uh, who was John Alley's spiritual father, is an American fellow, Chuck somebody, or I don't know, can't remember his last name. And he had passed on. And so Steve says to, says to John, hey, I was really, really, really sorry to hear about Chuck's passing. Um, that must have been really hard for you. And John says, yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I, I love that man so deeply. It's quite a, quite a thing. So, but, you know, it's okay. I'll find another spiritual father. Steve says, I, I looked at him funny. Well, first of all, that sounds a little callous. But then secondly, he said, but, but John, you're in your late 60s. You're probably the most mature Christian I've ever met. Who are you going to find who's going to mentor you? Who are you going to find who's going to point out your stuff? Who are you going to find who's going to call you up higher? And he says, and John looked at me as if I'd never heard of sonship. <laughs> and he said, John looked at me and he said, Steve, I don't need someone to mentor me. I don't need someone to point out my issues. I don't even need someone to call me up. I need someone to honor. And that hit like a ton of bricks. Who do we have that we can honor? Who can you give your heart to that way? If you're looking for a spiritual father, let me tell you something first of all. You don't look for somebody that you love necessarily alone. You look for someone who's willing to love you. Okay? 
That's, that's a critical piece of spiritual fathering. Is someone's got to love you. But in the end, can you posture yourself as a son? As I said, that one hits me hard every time because I've realized in my own life a withholding of that kind of honor. My physical dad passed away when I was 27 or 8. And I said in my heart, that's okay, I'm a grown-up. I mean, I'll miss him. But I don't need a dad. I'm okay. And uh, when my mom remarried, uh, I love that man. He's, he's great for my mom. I'm so pleased that she has someone. I'm excited for, for Linda that she's gotten married again. That's so exciting. Someone to be with, someone to be important to, someone that, you know, someone with arms <laughs> as well. Um, so exciting. But I said, I don't need a dad. So I've called him Rick the entire time. Mom and, and Rick have been married for 20 years now. And uh, that's my brother over there. So <laughs> try to get a, a, a good read on that. And I had decided I didn't need a dad. And I didn't really. And, and I'll tell you what, my posture towards Pastor Mark. So you'll know if you've talked to me at all. I'm, I love that man, and I will defend his honor, and I will stand for him, and I will not hear evil spoken of him. So if you have evil to speak of him, don't do it to me. <laughs> don't do it to anybody. In fact, pray blessing over him. That would be good. That would work. But honestly, my posture has been like he's my big brother, not my father. And when I heard Steve make that comment about John Alley... I realized that there's been a withholding in my own heart of the kind of honor that a son gives to a father. Now, I've had it in another area in my life, um, which those of you who've worked with me can attest to. My, my business partner, who is uh, 21 years older than I am, has been a father to me in many ways for many years. And, and so that's great. But I never, ever said that out loud before right now. Okay. So, my challenge to us today, remember I said last time, lots of content, not a lot of application, but here's the application, folks. Do you want to become a father? Then mature in love and relationship and become a son. Become a son. Um, and it's true, fathers do mentor sometimes. They do call you up. They do. But you know what fathers really do? They bless. And we see in Scripture, we see Abraham passing on the blessing to Isaac. We see Jacob wanting it so bad that he stole it. Um, we, we see Jacob later on blessing Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he, he actually crosses his arms and changes the order of them from age. Um, the blessing of a father is so powerful. That wake that it opens, the, the, the way a son can walk far more easily in the wake of a father is amazing. You know, as a church, we, we, we've often done the Curses to Blessing seminar here and benefited from it amazingly, and it's, it's, it's solid teaching. But let me tell you something. The Bible actually in about 200 places refers to the word curse. So it's a, it's a big deal. And in about 600 places, it refers to blessing. So if you want to concentrate on something here, let's not go to the curses. Let's go to the blessings. There's way more of them, and it's way more important in Scripture. And so I, I want to say that one of the, the primary things of a father is to bless. So 
I don't know exactly how this is going to work out over the next while. And I'm not giving you a recipe. I was talking to, with Bruce and Gail earlier and said, you know, we don't want to turn things into recipes. Okay, so now we have a group of fathers and sons can sign up underneath their... You know, this is not how this works. This is a relational thing. But I do say, let's start preparing our hearts to be sons and to be fathers. And again, ladies, hear, hear this. You can be fathers, okay? This is, this is a critical part of our relating together as we grow to maturity in the kingdom. So, Lord, I want to pray a blessing right now over this congregation. Father, I want to pray that you would, you would bless us with the truth and the knowledge of your word, with the truth that we are sons of the Most High God. Lord, that we are your kids, joint heirs, brothers and sisters of Jesus, which makes us brothers and sisters of each other. Lord, I pray that we would work that this church would be able to model, that each one sitting here would be able to fully embrace this idea of being sons and fathers, that we could walk in relational maturity. Lord, I bless this house with love, supernatural love, gifts of love for one another, deep care. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.